Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of realeverything.com. I'm all about loving the skin you're in and being healthy inside and out. And I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne of thepaleomom.com. I believe that scientific literacy is the key to improving public health. Welcome back to The Whole View, episode 451. I'm just going to forewarn you, there's going to be a lot of soapboxing on the show, but there's also going to be a lot of science and there's going to be a lot of fact-based information with sources and references. Um, I and Sarah at this point have both been getting a lot of questions and comments about the new Netflix documentary, um, which I don't know why it wasn't called Conspiracy. It was just like right I mean, there. Clearly. But it's called C S E A. I want to say uh, they really missed the boat on that one. Oh my God, so many puns. <laughs> um, you're so pleased with yourself. I think I'm, because I'm fully prepared with many, many ocean puns for this particular. So we've got facts and science and puns mm-hmm. for you today. Yes, so definitely pick, pick which one you like. Um, but the movie is actually called Seaspiracy, and we've been getting so many questions about it that I took one for the team, and would I watched you, this one. Would you say, would you say, Stacey, that this this movie was making waves? Oh, stop it! I can't. <laughs> I can't. Um. Oh my god. Do you want to? Do you want to maybe just dive right into what yeah. the documentary was uh, was claiming? Okay, so I <laughs> I will say that I could tell within minutes of this film that the filmmaker had an agenda and so I do just want to state right off the bat this is the same filmmaker of what the health and cowspiracy which I think is why it's called seaspiracy instead there's probably going to be a series of these right Right. um so we're gonna we're gonna go through the science-based facts to address the claims that are made in the film which I watched it and I took I think eight pages of notes Mm -hmm. and now we have seven pages pages of fact-based references and topics for the show. So we have 13 pages of notes. We're not just coming at this like, and this is what I think with my, our hands on our hips. Um, but really the, like the biggest premise um, of the film is that sustainable seafood is not a real thing. And um, because seafood is so important in the things that we talk about here on the show as being one of the top health promoting protein sources. And um, we talk about if you're going to be a vegetarian, pescatarian is a way, you know, to go about this, or can you, you know, can you add seafood, Mm -hmm. like all this kind of stuff, different things that we've referenced. It would be very difficult if we were like, okay, now let's take seafood out of the picture and good luck meeting all these requirements. So we want to address both the health perspective, um, as well as the sustainability perspective. And I I will tell you, if you make it through the film, um, the last 10 minutes, like it was so, it was so difficult for me to watch. It was a commercial for veganism is essentially what it comes down to at the end. They talk about plant-based seaweed options, um, as being comparable in health benefits to seafood. So, Maybe, Sarah, you could just start off with some of the benefits of seafood um, so that we can talk apples to apples here and not just, like, throw out information without, like, references or facts or addressing any of the other health benefits of seafood and why we might recommend it. 
Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think it's important to kind of emphasize that we would have a lot more nuanced conversation about how much seafood to consume if the premise of uh, seaspiracy that there is no such thing as sustainable fishing and that fishing practice at any scale is basically destroying the oceans and the planet. Like if that were the case, we've also on the show before addressed um, uh, very various sort of like um, environment concerns. We've addressed global climate change. Like we've talked about um, sustainable farming. Like we've we've and regenerative farming. We've talked about these sort of big picture concepts before. We've also talked at length about seafood as a foundational food for a nutrient sufficient nutrivore diet. Like it is, um, seafood is some of our best sources of incredibly important nutrients. And, um, and we would be having a very different conversation about how to get those nutrients if, you know, if the, the, if there was truth to this idea that, you know, we shouldn't be fishing at all. Um, but as we will definitely get into that science as well, let's start with just summarizing, like what does seafood, so fish and shellfish do for us? So there's a variety of perspective studies, meta-analyses, which of course uh, our regular listeners know is my favorite kind. Meta-analyses and systematic reviews are like where I really like to like hang my hang my hat because those are studies where they look at the the, you know, all of the well-done studies that are testing that question and they pool the data from all of them together and they really try to understand um, the big picture effect when individual studies can sometimes show like a different magnitude of effect or an effect in one area and not another and not necessarily completely align. That can be due to a variety of factors like sampling error, the way the study is designed, whether it's retrospective or perspective. And so what these systematic reviews are designed to do and meta-analyses are designed to do is sort of pool all of that data together um, in order to um, basically uh, overcome any particular effects that are due to sampling errors or um, population differences, for example. So looking at these types of scientific studies, we basically see that across the board, eating more seafood reduces cardiovascular disease risk. Um, there's a, a large amount of research showing that it can prevent diabetes and that can also prevent um, obesity. In this context, um, our listeners also know that we, when we talk about obesity, we talk about it as a symptom um, and not a chronic illness itself. Um, and I will refer our listeners back to episode 421, where we talked about the science behind body image as being... Uh, more damaging than overweight itself. So in this context, when we're talking about big meta-analyses, we're looking at obesity as a symptom of uh, metabolic dysfunction. So it tends to go with things like cardiovascular disease and diabetes. And these benefits are really due to the fact that uh, seafood in general, fish and shellfish, are some of, it's not some of the most nutrient-dense proteins out there. Um, they also contain uniquely beneficial fatty acids in very high quantities, but also their protein is particularly special in terms of how it impacts our gut microbiome, but also how our bodies use it. So I'm going to break that down briefly. Um, so really we can sort of look at vitamins and minerals, 
Um, some fish actually has um, a, a type of carotenoid that's very important, um, and then fats and proteins. So fish in general is a fantastic source of every single B vitamin, uh, vitamin E. Um, the fatty cold water fish like salmon or trout also um, has great amounts of vitamin A and vitamin D. They also are some of our best sources of zinc, which is a phenomenally important nutrient. Um, I'll refer our listeners back to our uh, intro to Nutrivore show from the beginning of this year. Phosphorus, magnesium, iron, copper, potassium, and one of our best dietary sources of selenium. So fish is just like teeming with um, with essential nutrients. And that is really important in a world where uh, approximately 90% of people walking around are deficient in at least one major important essential nutrient. Um, if we look at fish where you consume the bones, that could be either um, small fish that are consumed fresh or canned fish. They're also a really fantastic source of all of the bone health minerals, including calcium, um, as well as uh, some important proteins like collagen. The selenium I mentioned is particularly important. We um, have already talked on the show about uh, the selenium health benefit value of fish, which is a measure of how much selenium you're getting per mercury. And we'll revisit this again a little bit later in the show. But the selenium is super important. Selenium is important for protecting against some forms of cancer. It is very important for bone health. It is essential for thyroid health. Um, it's essential for immune health. Um, it has been shown that you have an increased susceptibility to infection if you're selenium deficient. It's important for DNA production. And it's also the backbone of some really important um, antioxidant enzymes in the body. The omega-3s, of course, and this is going to come up again, um, fish and shellfish are, are really high in especially two long-chain omega-3 fats, EPA and DHA. And um, these behave uh, slightly differently in the body. They're both extremely important. Together, they reduce inflammation. They lower blood pressure. They also protect against some cancers, especially breast cancer. They increase insulin sensitivity. They improve basically cardiovascular health, um, literally the cells that form the walls of every blood vessel. Um, are, their function is improved by a diet rich in omega-3s. Um, and they're also um, the most important fat for supporting a healthy and diverse gut microbiome. So there's been studies where they um, give people fish oil and show that it reverses gut dysbiosis in like two to eight weeks is sort of the time frame. Um, and that's the only intervention for those, those people. Um, there have been studies done in animal models looking at gut dysbiosis where they compare fish oil to olive oil to safflower oil to soy oil, canola oil, and they basically show that uh, fish oil is by far the best. And of course, we've talked about olive oil on the show as second best. But this is a really important fat from both a um, insulin perspective, an immune health perspective, and a, and a gut health perspective, uh, as well as, as vascular health. So those are things that are, are, you know, we're predominantly getting those omega-3s from, from fish and shellfish. So for example, um, you know, salmon has a, about a 300 to one ratio of omega-3s to omega-6. Um, super high quality grass-fed beef has about a three to one ratio of omega-3 to omega-6, um, as along with having far lower quantities in general. So it is a really important thing for balancing omega-3s to omega-6s to include, include fish in our diet. 
um, salmon and any other fish that kind of has a that that distinctive orangey pink color. Um, it contains an antioxidant called astaxanthin. Astaxanthin is a carotenoid, which we're used to thinking of like beta carotene, alpha carotene, um, as carotenoids that we're getting from uh, carrots. Um, seafood is our best source. Um, you're also getting this from something like shrimp. And this carotenoid is a really important um, antioxidant, and it's been shown to help improve skin health, help improve vision, ocular health. It's actually um, been shown to um, help reverse macular degeneration, and it's also really important for normalizing um, uh, lipid blood lipids. So it helps to reduce LDL, which is the bad cholesterol, and increase HDL, which is the good cholesterol. Um, and that is something that we're we're only getting from these like ocean animal foods. Um, and then fish protein, as I mentioned, is uh, sort of uniquely beneficial compared to other animal proteins. So it's complete, right? It contains not just the nine essential amino acids, but all 20 amino acids, which is something that we really only get from um, animal foods in general. Um, but it's also one of the easiest to digest proteins. So it means that those amino acids are more bioavailable. So it's easier for our bodies to digest and absorb and use the amino acids from fish protein. And there's been a variety of studies showing that fish protein, separately from the omega-3s in fishes, fishes, sure, fishes, um, is really beneficial for the gut microbiome. So there have been, again, sort of animal model studies where they compare fish protein, so that's lean fish, to beef, to pork, chicken, soy protein, casein, which is from dairy, pea protein, and basically show that fish protein is by far and away the absolute best protein for supporting a healthy and diverse gut microbiome, supporting the growth of key probiotic species, and that 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 though that combined those um, benefits to the gut microbiome as well as the fact that those amino acids from fish are so bioavailable um, explain some of the benefits that are seen even from lean fish. Like if you look at whitefish, which doesn't have a lot of protein, you can kind of start to separate out the benefits of fish protein versus the omega-3s. And what we see in those studies is that uh, consumption of whitefish also reduces cardiovascular disease by huge, huge effects. So we're talking about, you know, um, three servings a week reducing risk of stroke by 33%, um, you know, in in some cohorts, right? So these are, these are large effects. Um, there's been studies showing that um, crossover studies where they sort of take people, all they do is add um, a serving of fish, a hundred gram serving, which is um, only about three ounces of fish per day to the diet. That's all they do. And they show that people um, improve their cardiovascular disease risk factors. They have lower blood pressure. They have lower LDL cholesterol. So these, there's a variety of studies showing that um, even a, a small amount of white fish per week is reducing cardiovascular disease risk. There's been studies showing that it um, can uh, improve uh, obesity, again, as a, as a symptom of uh, something happening metabolically, um, reducing cardiovascular disease risk factors, including not just lowering LDL, but increasing HDL, lowering triglycerides, improving blood pressure. Um, and all of these effects, again, is from the protein. So we have in something like salmon, we have both the benefit of 
the long chain omega-3s and the benefit of the protein and the benefit of the vitamins and minerals, including something really special like selenium. Um, and then you also have something like uh, the benefits of the antioxidant astaxanthin. And those are all independently beneficial. So the reason why when we talk about a nutrient-dense diet being founded on eating lots of vegetables, seafood, and eating uh, quality meat snout to tail, it's because of the incredible contribution of nutrients that these foods have to the overall diet, so much so that we can do silly little things like have somebody consume a couple of servings a week and measure in prospective studies a giant improvement in cardiovascular disease risk or diabetes risk or um, uh, other metabolic disease risk. So um, it's just a, a foundational food. And lucky for us, um, the claims against uh, sustainable fishing from the Seaspiracy, um, well, I don't think we should use the word documentary, not unless we put it in air quotes, which no. are really, really yeah. awkward. Um, I think we could call it movie. I think movie. We could also, I think, call it propaganda. Let's 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 get into seaspiracy and really talk about how uh, how fish is amazing, and let's talk about where seaspiracy is based on a a grain of truth, and then manipulates the audience um, towards a very clear um, a very clear message. Yes, there is definitely a agenda and a bias. Um, and also I want to talk about um, the toxicity of it and different kinds and the claim that algae can give you all of these health benefits that Sarah mm -hmm. just talked about. So um, let's kind of look at what some of those claims were. We're not going to get into it point by point, but I think there's kind of two big myths um, overall in the documentary. And like I said, I... I watched it and I, it took me four hours to watch what was, I think, a 90 minute movie because I was taking notes extensively, um, rewinding thank, and making thank sure. You. Thank welcome. you for that, by the way. You're welcome. Making sure that I heard people correctly, that I was looking at the sources that they quoted. Like, I, I want to tell you, I, we took this very seriously. I'm not just like, you know, passing, um, you know, certain things and saying that it's not, you know, factual or whatever. And I think that's part of it is there is fact, I, I don't want to say that commercial fishing in general doesn't pre present a problem. Like, and, and that is, as you said, Sarah, kind of what happens with propaganda or um, in how people can be ma manipulated um, with this kind of information is you take a grain of truth and then, and then you expand upon it to something that isn't really quite as factual. So what were those things that they claimed, which is that there's no such thing as sustainable seafood at all, period. Um, and that was kind of broken down into a number of things. One, that commercial fishing is destroying the oceans, both by um, overfishing as well as um, pollution. Dumping plastic. Yes. Yeah. And you know what? I don't actually have the facts on dumping plastic. And I think that, you know, can I solve this with a magic wand? No. But I do think that we can make non-plastic fishing nets or um, we'll talk about line fishing later, right? Like there's, mm -hmm. there's a lot of different things that can be done there. Um, but I'm not a plastic expert. <laughs> and so, um, but we are going to talk about the over, uh, over fishing, the reduced population. Cause I think that's really the main concern there. Nobody is debating that plastic's a problem. Um, that fisheries aren't regulated, that fish farms, the farm or like farmeries or whatever of fish are even worse than if you were 
commercial fishing, um, that a big proportion of the fish sold in the U.S. is caught illegally and um, puts fishermen uh, in danger. In particular, there was um, a very dramatic scene about um, people being put into slavery and that kind of thing. And I just want to say, again, we're not experts on that, but we are going to address U.S. fishing, which was not really addressed in the film at all, because that's where we live and that's what we can control and and all that kind of stuff. Um, And that sustainably caught as a label is meaningless. So that all goes into the sustainable food claims that then at the end of the film says, because of all those things, you can't buy sustainable fish or seafood in general. Um, And then there gets into the, we should not be eating seafood. And you know how I feel about that word. Um, Because um, we, we should all be doing a plant-based diet anyway. Um, You know, just get your seafood to taste like seafood with seaweed and it has the same health benefits as the claim that's made. Um, It's full of toxins like mercury and PCBs, um, which we addressed extensively in episode 366, Seafood Safety Concerns, that the seafood itself is full of microplastics, that um, the seafood and our harvesting of it is destroying the oceans, um, which in turn is destroying the climate. Again, we're not going to get into that because we've talked extensively before about climate change being real and paying attention to that stuff, so nobody's debating that. and that we can get the same nutrients from algae, as I said. So um, maybe before we jump in, Sarah, you could talk a little bit about your experience and knowledge in this area. And mm-hmm. um, then we we can address some of these um, purported facts or um, ex- extrapolated information or claims or how, however we want to refer to this. Yeah, I really wanted to share as we sort of to talk about sustainable fishing that um, I actually have experience in this industry. My first research job in college was for the Canadian Department of Fisheries and Oceans. And I was actually doing research for the sustainable um, salmon fishing, um, which is a a huge economy in British Columbia. And um, my research actually was uh, published and then used um, by um, the Department of Fisheries and Oceans to help um, basically distribute uh, the the geographical location for for fishing licenses. So um, what I was actually looking at for that research, this was a number of years ago now, um, was looking at how ocean temperature actually impacted the route that the salmon would take back to the Fraser River. So around Vancouver Island, they can go the north route and go through the uh, Strait of Georgia, or they can go the south route and go through the Strait of Juan de Fuca. And um, that actually, like knowing, being able to predict where the salmon were going to predominantly be would allow um, the government to then regulate how many fish were allowed to be taken out of which waters in order to preserve high enough numbers returning to the river in order to spawn. Um, and so that was that was my research project. It was my very first like research experience in college. Um, and uh, and it was really cool because I was doing a lot of like ocean temperature mapping and studying upwelling, which is the the movement of like cold, cold water from deep up to the surface. Um, and so it's actually 
you know, even though that isn't the field I ultimately ended up going into, um, as we talk about sustainable fishing, I have this like personal, this personal experience in the science side of it. Um, and in that back and forth that, um, is really important for sustainable fishing practices, um, to have a really responsive regulatory system that is looking at science. And this is one area where, um, you know, one of the things we complain about on the, on the podcast often is that in nutritional sciences, there's a pretty long lag between when something is researched and understood in the medical literature and your doctor knows it and can help you make a better choice based on that information. That is not the case with fisheries management because um, there have been cases in in our history where overfishing has driven a species to the brink of extinction or an entire, um, you know, this affects livelihoods. It affects entire country economies. Um, it doesn't just affect the food supply. It affects um, sometimes entire ecosystems, if one species that is a keystone species, which means a species that is holding an ecosystem together um, or modifying an ecosystem in some way in order to be um, conducive to the growth of other species or increased biodiversity. And so there, what's actually the case in this area is that the regulatory agencies are incredibly responsive to the scientific research. And that's been really important. There's been huge strides in the last, say, 30 years in terms of um, sustainable fisheries management. Um, and there have been huge, incredible examples of uh, fisheries, fisheries being the the sort of broader term for a place where fish live, um, not it, it's sort of, I think, often thought of in terms of um, agriculture, which is like a fish farm, but a fishery is just like a place where fish are that we might go and fish for those fish. Um, and so I suddenly felt like I was in a Dr. Seuss book. Um, and so um, what's actually happening is there's um, there's a tremendous amount of, of back and forth, right? Scientists perform uh, stock assessments. They recommend how much fish should be harvested. Fishery managers and regulators follow that science. And then their job is to enforce the recommendations. So that's another thing that has really changed in the last few decades with fisheries management is um, enforcement has really ramped up. And there's a lot of now sort of international cooperation. Um, the United Nations has a whole um, food and ag agriculture organization that also um, manages um, regulations around fisheries. And so there's, there's now globally recognition that sustainable fishing is important. And, um, and so it's, it, there's been huge strides in terms of increasing the um, number of fisheries that are fished sustainably in the world in the last few decades. It's still not perfect. And this is where, right, the Seaspiracy, uh, I'm not going to use that word, uh, movie um, has that grain of truth, right? So there's still room for improvement. So the, the most recent estimates are that uh, all, not quite 80% 
of the seafood that is consumed worldwide comes from sustainable fisheries. If you just look at number of fisheries, that's about two thirds of fisheries worldwide that are being properly managed in order to be sustainable. And what's the word sustainable means is that um, these are renewable resources, right? So the fish, shellfish, um, even if you're talking about something like algae, they reproduce and they replenish their populations naturally. So the idea behind sustainable fishing is to only pull a number out of that fishery that can be replenished naturally. Um, and if a, a fishery is properly managed um, and sustainably harvested, actually their numbers can increase um, compared to what would be like a natural equilibrium that would um, be achieved if there was no fishing whatsoever. So that actually can increase the amount that can then be harvested from that fishery. Um, and that that is entirely attributable to proper management. So right now we're at an area where there's definitely room for improvement. About 20% of the fish eaten the world in the world are from uh, overfished fisheries. Um, that doesn't mean um, overfishing like doesn't mean 20% of fisheries are on the brink of collapse. Um, but it does mean that 20% are pulling more fish out of the water than can be replenished naturally. And that is something that that definitely like requires our attention. Uh, that is definitely something to to acknowledge here. And that is where understanding uh, some of this language, right? What is commercial fishing? What is the what is the role of farmed fish? Um, what is the importance of these different seals becomes really important. And it's also really important to recognize that we have, again, like many, many examples in history of um, fisheries um, that were on the brink of collapse um, completely recovering. So that certainly happened with the salmon run um, on the, the west coast of North America. Um, that has happened um, all over the world. So that's happened in Patagonia. It's happened in um, Namibia. There have been many different examples of um, fisheries that were overfished to, oh my goodness, you know, this is super problem. Um, and then science and regulation work together to um, manage those, those fisheries and the um, stocks can come back, right? For example, um, tuna stocks have recovered in most areas globally now. Um, there's tons and tons of examples. So this is why um, supporting sustainable fishing is really important, just like we would re support regenerative farming for for the, the meat that we're consuming, just like we want to support um, uh, organic farming for vegetables, right, where we're replenishing the soil and we're supporting biodiversity. Um, this is the this is the ocean and lake and river <laughs> version of the priorities that we have talked about on the show many times. And I think our listeners are super in tune with in terms of uh, fruits, vegetables, and meat. Yeah, I think the the difference is, like you said, the show, the the film, whatever we're calling it, um, takes one one grain of truth and then kind of extrapolates it. And so I noticed when I was watching the film and I was documenting all the sources that they were at least five years old. Some of which were, I think there was one that was over twenty years old. Um, is that the one saying that the ocean would be empty by twenty forty eight? Yeah, I know. We're gonna, yeah, we're gonna get to that one. Go ahead. I I mean, do you want to just do you want to just get into it now? Sure. So, um, 
I, again, thank you for your detailed notes about the documentary, but that was one <laughs> of the claims that was all over the internet. Um, that was, again, that's a nearly 20 year old study that they're, that they were quoting that has since been, um, not just like refuted by the authors of the study, um, but the the subsequent data has shown that it's absolutely untrue. And actually, um, global fish stocks right now are on the rise, not on the decline at all. And um, and so there's been a ton of really well, you know, high quality studies done since showing, uh, nope, not true. We're actually doing a pretty good job. Doesn't mean there isn't room for improvement. But again, global fish stocks are on the rise, not on the decline. And um, and that that one paper it could never be reproduced. It, again, the original author has basically said, yeah, no, I was wrong. Um, all of the science done subsequently has, has shown a different effect. And we've talked on the show before about science that when there is um, one outlier in terms of like understanding a field of research, that that... Um, Often I find in sort of the conspiracy minded uh, uh, sort of um, articles or right influencers who are talking about it, there's this idea that that one that disagrees with the other 10, um, that must be the truth, right? There's this, there's this, look at this one that disagrees. This must be the real thing and everything else must be biased in industry pocket or whatever. And, and actually... Um, that's the cool thing about science. There's all kinds of reasons for why one study might show something different. We've talked about this on the show before. Um, I already mentioned things like sampling errors, uh, you know, like we can't ever sample an entire population. Sometimes it's legit population differences. Sometimes it's methodology. Um, there's often reasons for, um, for differences. And that's why, again, like meta-analyses, um, systematic reviews are so important because it doesn't, it doesn't dismiss a paper that shows something different, um, but instead sort of incorporates that into the full collection of, of data that we have to try to understand once you sort of average out all of these different studies, what is the actual effect and what is the uh, statistical power of that effect. So um, I would not myself, when I'm reading science, when I see something that that's that's different that's an outlier like this is the paper that shows the opposite of everything else to me that uh, that is my cue to look for nuance context right maybe this is something that applies in a particular population right so uh you know how or how was the study done and maybe it's a methodological flaw um but it doesn't um i, I think it there's this uh there's this pseudoscience thing happening right now on the internet where the outliers are like overly weighted as being the truth. And that's not how science works. Um, that doesn't mean they're wrong. I don't want to say that the, the one that shows something different is wrong. Um, maybe what that re reveals is a complex system with something interesting going on. Um, but in this case, you know, this is research that has, you know, the we've continued to look at this data. People have been continuing to research this. And, uh, and it has been shown that, uh, no, the oceans will not be empty by 2048. Um, and at this rate, they shall never be empty because fish stocks are increasing. Thank you <laughs> for that soapbox. I do appreciate that this is something that you have been looking into for a really long time. 
um, and kind of started your research career in it. I will also say, as you mentioned earlier about um, comparing the sustainable fishing to um, biodynamic regenerative farming, Mm -hmm. um, this is something that has also been very important for me for a really long time. And I mean, Joel Salatin wrote the foreword to our second book, Beyond Bacon, which was a snout-to-tail cookbook honoring kind of whole animals for a reason. Um, You know, I was a vegetarian for seven years. I grew up that way. And so it's not that we're dismissing that there aren't improvements that can be made. It's that taking that information and extrapolating it or taking really old information and claiming that it's current um, is manipulative and it's propaganda. And um, there's a lot of manipulation in the film. Sarah, I know you didn't see it. And um, listeners, I, ch- I, ch- I chose. I, yeah. Thank you again. No, it was my, I t- it was my turn to take to one. I really understand. It was my turn. That we talked about this and I said, I don't think I can watch yeah. this. And you said, I volunteer to as yes. tribute. And it was, it was my thank turn. you. Yes, it was yeah. my turn. Um, but listeners, I would, I would not encourage you to run out and go watch this to like see what, um, what it's all about, unless you want both sides of an argument, right? Like we're also giving you our bias perspective, but we're also doing it with tons of references and research and information that you can find in our show notes. Um, so please do, if you are going to watch that film or you already watched that film and you feel passionately about it, um, look at some of the references that are used. And we're also going to talk a little bit about some examples of the manipulation that the filmmaker takes liberty with later um, in the film. And I just, you know, for me, this the fact that all of the sources were older and um, are referring to non North America, essentially non-U.S., but also, like you said, British Columbia, um, is another great source of sustainable salmon. Um, And I I think that's really important for our U.S. listeners. I know that there's also a lot of other countries, like we have a lot of um, Australian-type listeners. Like, this is something that's totally available to you as well. You know, just be aware of some of the, the, um, the, the differences as you move forward. So, I think the next thing to do is to maybe talk about um, what is commercial fishing and yeah. what does what does the do the facts say about the regulation? Because I can tell you what the film um, postulates is that um, it's people are able to be bribed, and like let me just be clear: anybody is able to be bribed anywhere. So if you're going to ask that question and you get the answer, yes, that's the part of the film you cut and you don't include anything else about, but we have no instances of that. We have no references of that. We have no examples that we can show you. And that was one of the things that really got me in the film is um, there were specific examples that were given of other things, but a lot of the claims that were made about the regulation of um, commercial fishing standards, especially as it relates to certifications like um, Dolphin Safe and things like that, mean nothing because someone could be bribed. Well, well uh, hang on, <laughs> hang on, hang on. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so because of the existence of a thing called bribery, we shouldn't trust anything. Is this? Uh, this is. This is. Yes. Super paranoid thinking. Yes. Well, that's that's what I'm saying is, so you take something that's a fact that the 
um, the fact is that sometimes bribery happens and it's very bad when it does because um, not only is it illegal, but it's ethically and morally wrong. Right. And so therefore, even though we have onboard audits and even though we have a highly regulated industry um, and certifications done by a nonprofit organization, because the existence of the, the potential of bribery, we cannot trust that it's happening. That is, again, I mean, I refuse to walk through life with that level of paranoia. Um, that's that's not how I choose to, to navigate my world. Um, you know, that's making an assumption, basically, that the majority of people are uh, bad people. And um, I, that's not my experience. <laughs> my experience is the opposite. Um, and I think that if you're going to navigate life thinking that right? You, you can't, you can't make a statement that, um, you know, all of these agencies are being bribed and not generalize that to people are bad. Like people are inherently bad. That is basically the statement that is being said. And I reject that. That is not, that is not my value system. That is not my belief system. I believe that people, um, are mostly all of them good people. Um, and that doesn't mean that we're going to agree on everything, but, uh, I cannot, I cannot, again, that is, I, I, re, I, I just, I cannot, I think I'm not saying that there's never been an issue, uh, an issue of bribery in this area, but, um, I cannot, uh, I cannot believe that, uh, this claim that like most people are bad people and just, uh, taking the money and breaking the rules. Like that's not, that's not life. That's not it. I'll also, just for the the fun of it, since you didn't watch the film, um, there is a particular person who um, is named in the film as being missing at sea, who was one of these auditors. And the claim is made that this person was pushed overboard because they didn't want to um, be bribed. They they didn't want to abide by the fishing boat. um, That's intense. Of, of you know, catching a dolphin or whatever. And so they, they, like, the claim is that the guy is pushed overboard with no proof. No, you know what I mean? Like nothing. But then later in the movie, they also talk about how dangerous fishing is. As we know it is, this is, I, mm-hmm. no, no one's refuting that fact. Like you're out on the ocean on a boat, you know, like super dangerous. Um, and they talk about how many people, are lost at sea because of it. I think they like hundreds of thousands of people. And so I'm like, wait a minute, which is it? Like, is it that this, this guy was, you know, quote unquote pushed overboard because he, you know, he wasn't going to take a bribe or was it that, you know, there's a large number of people who are lost at sea because it's dangerous. Like there, there's so many things like that in the film where I'm like, um, this is like incongruent with this other thing that you just said that was a claim that is completely unsubstantiated with zero facts given. So, um, anyway, let's, let's move into, can I, can I tell you a fun dangerous boat story? <laughs> yeah. Don't mind. tell you a fun dangerous boat so story. So many tangents. Uh, well, this is this is from my uh, research experience for the Department of Fisheries and Oceans. I got to go on two research cruises during during that uh, research term, and uh, one was through the Strait of Georgia. It was really cool. That's when I learned there were actually porpoises in that water, which was like amazing. And then the other one was open Pacific Ocean. We were doing um, we were doing scientific research, so we were, had this like super cool thing that we would sample water at different depths and do all this kind of analysis. And we got caught 
in a storm. And uh, we were caught in 30 meter waves. Um, so that's about 10 story high waves. It was the biggest waves that ship had ever seen. We high. You were on the boat. Land. I was on the boat. Uh, it was like everything was locked down. Um, and cause you would just go up and up and up and up. And then it was like free fall down the other side. And, um, I did not understand the amount of danger that we were in because I was a young person who did not yet have a strong sense of her own mortality. Um, I just, I just knew that I was very seasick. And, uh, and then the next morning when we found ourselves in this lovely little sheltered cove on the, on the West coast of British Columbia, uh, that was when the researchers told me that the ship had never been in, uh, such, uh, high waves and, um, that it was very scary and that everyone said that if the captain had made one mistake, it, the boat would have capsized and we would have all been dead. So super cool. 30 meters, 30 meter waves. So many meters. It's a lot. Of, it's a lot. Yeah. So I, it's not safe out there. No <laughs> one's disputing that fact is what I think we're telling you. All right. What what can you tell us about the regulation of commercial fishing as it relates to, in general, just I I don't know everything. Yeah, <laughs> I mean I th I think the the big thing to emphasize here is that the words commercial fishing are not the seafood equivalent of uh, a feedlot for for cattle or uh, industrial farming monocrops. Um, it is, that is not what that word means. And I think, you know, the word commercial, it's sort of easy to conflate with the other sort of industrial, um, practices. It can be large scale, but what the, the word actually means is, uh, fishing in order to catch fish to sell. So, uh, commercial fishing can be that little 10 foot boat and a guy with a fishing line, if he's going to sell the fish that he caught at the end of the day, that is still commercial fishing. And it is highly, highly regulated. So um, it's actually, um, I mean, I would say Canada is highly regulated. US is probably the some of the most uh, rigorous regulations. Um, fisheries management is guided under uh, several laws, including the Magnuson-Stevens Act, the Marine Mammal Protection Act, and the Endangered Species Act. Um, uh, fisheries are managed under 10 different national standards of sustainability. Um, they follow incredibly rigorous environmental um, standards um, and some of the most rigorous environmental standards in the world. Um, and the, the whole point of those standards is to prevent overfishing, to protect other species, um, right? So the accidental catch of something that was not what you were aiming for. Um, it's to protect against that sort of what's called bycatch. Um, it's to protect environments, habitats. Um, and it's basically, you know, these fishing licenses um, are uh, heavily regulated. Um, you are, I mean, I remember my, um, my dad and my uncle, you know, fishing on a lake and um, the Coast Guard coming to inspect the boat. I mean, it's, it's um, inspections are done at uh, the large scale fishing as well as the smallest scale to basically ensure that uh, fisheries are protected and that um, we're following these sustainable fishing practices. Um, so it's actually, um, you know, the America is one of the 
the global leaders in terms of sustainable fishing, but sustainable fishing is uh, common in a lot of areas of the world. Again, right, about almost 80% of the fish eaten globally comes from sustainably caught fish. Um, so for example, um, you know, Pacific Island nations, fish is their main economy. Um, there are Pacific Island nations where 60, 70% of their GDP is fish. Um, and if they didn't fish sustainably, they would, their economies, their entire country economies would collapse. So um, it's not, you know, I want to, I want to kind of wrap in. There's, there's a lot of, you know, again, the United Nations has a whole division that is also trying to maintain uh, the ocean and not overfish um, because fishing is uh, a main livelihood in many areas of the world, is a main food in many areas of the world. And there are areas of the world where if fishing ceased to be allowed, um, you know, entire economies would collapse, families would lose their livelihoods, um, they would starve, right? Like it is, it is a really, really important thing and an important thing to protect, which is why um, there are, you know, wonderful organizations that are um, advocating for for sustainable fishing. And I will say, just even here in the States, I can't tell you how many people have reached out to me whose families are fishermen um, mm -hmm. and doing all of these regulations and things that you're talking about, whose businesses are being harmed right now. So, you know, you think about um, choosing to not support seafood as as uh, not supporting this this big bad man in the ocean who's just killing dolphins for fun, um, which, by the way, like dolphin and and shark catch and um, release and all that kind of regulation in the United States is v like very specific and um, easy to look up. Um, so that's one of the first things that I did when I was going through the film is looking up per country what their rules are. And like you said, Sarah, there's um, the United States has like extreme, um, but also the United Nations is trying to guide. I think there's three countries that still allow um, some whaling and some sharks and different things like that. But if it were not for the fact that people were doing it sustainably, then as you noted, then they wouldn't have the thing to sell anymore. And so it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, behoove them to do that and so what we're doing is we're we're cutting off their um, ability to sell the items that they've basically already fished right this is their economy mm -hmm. and so now if we don't purchase it like we're harming the local farmers who are doing the right thing uh, because we think that it's like some big bad man out in the ocean doing bad stuff. And so one of the the first things that I did is I actually went through my freezer because um, we get a lot of our seafood frozen. It's just affordable, you know, to, yeah. to do that and looked at all the labels and looked up what they meant and, you know, did that research myself. And so we'll, we'll talk a little bit about like what we each, where we you know, get our seafood and different things like that. But, um, you know, some is caught outside of the United States. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad thing. Like you said, the economy of the Pacific Island nations. But there's also, you know, my local farmer's market that's year round has a fishmonger and yeah, his salmon I miss too. His salmon is fantastic. And my local Costco has Alaskan certified, you know, wild uh, non-GMO, you whatever label you want, it's it's all there 
and it's at Costco too. So it's like, it is, it is absolutely possible. Um, I do want to talk about farm fish though, because yeah. the, the one thing that I just kept going back to in the film and I was like, wait, what? Like the one bad thing that they said about farmed fish was that there was a lot of, and I'm going to use a quotation mark here, organic waste. And I just kept being like, wait, or, organic waste, like poop. That's, that's, yeah. the, that's the worst that it we've got here. Yeah. yeah. Um, so maybe, maybe you can walk us through fish um, in general. And it is absolutely true that fish sometimes have um, color added. And again, I'm using quotation marks that you can't see. And I know, Sarah, you're going you're gonna to address that. Um, and those are the two, those are the only two things that they talked about with farmed seafood as, so their, you know, their that, argument like, dun, 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 dun. farmed yes. fish is that they poop in the water. <laughs> That they, that, yes, that they I, I mean, that it certainly locally will, will but change. It, it the... looks super dramatic when they were like doing the drawing to show this, like what looked like toxic sewage, right. And the colors and the way that it was like leaking into the ocean. But the guy kept saying organic waste. And I was like, wait, no, organic waste is yeah, not it's, toxic it's sewage. Part of, part of the, the normal, you know, psych circle of life. Yep. Right. Like it's it's food for algae, for um, plankton. Right. It's uh, for uh, bottom feeders like there's it's it's like it's not. Yes, it's concentrated. So you might get an algae bloom uh, that's close to to aquaculture, but it's it's uh, a thing that is a normal thing in the ocean. Um, And also, you know, there's ways of managing the water flow in order to you know make sure that it's that's concentration is being controlled um i think that um you know we often talk on this show about wild fish you know wild caught being so great i think it's really important to talk about farmed fish as an awesome food um you know it's actually uh fish farming in general is really important for sustainable fishing. Um, it's really important for making sure that we can, uh, meet our nutritional needs given the growth of the global population, um, given the super health importance of, uh, fish and shellfish. Um, it's a really fantastic tool for, um, you know, for, for getting fish. The, the reason why we talk about wild is because there's certainly a nutritional difference. The difference is seen most dramatically in the fat profile, and that's related to the food that farmed fish are are fed. But all farmed fish is still a nutritious choice. Um, you know, you're talking about maybe not quite as much omega-3s as the wild-caught version. Sometimes that's not even related to the food that's related to the ocean temperature um, or the water temperature that they're grown in. So the colder the water, typically the more fat the the fish will have um, as storage to to, um, regulate body temperature. And so that's actually what increases the omega-3 contents. That's why cold water fish, right, deep ocean fish, tend to have higher omega-3s. And lake fish, where the water is warmer, tend to be white fish, right? That is that is the reason it's the ocean temperature. And as Stacy mentioned, right, the the color that's actually given to farmed fish is astaxanthin. It's and it's given from usually um, red algae, um, so it gets into the 
the fish muscle through biomagnification. And uh, it actually makes them healthier because it's an antioxidant for them too. Um, so actually, it would be really cool to add more astaxanthin to their feed than we currently do from a fish health, like the health of that fish perspective, as well as uh, how beneficial their their meat is for us. Um, and it's done because uh, consumers generally are attracted to a deeper pink colored fish. Um, so it is it is basically done because they can charge more uh, for that deeper color because we look at it and go, ooh, I wanna eat that. Um, and that's probably some kind of instinct recognizing that it's good for us. Um, so it's not like red food coloring is, is squirted all over the fish. Um, that, that when it said coloring added, it literally means astaxanthin was added to the fish diet. Um, and it's cool that that's required on the labels, um, but it means something a little bit different than if you're going up and down the candy aisle, for example. Um, the other thing I think that is often a concern about um, fish farms is the use of um, antibiotics. Um, and this is, again, quite different than how antibiotics are used, say, in a uh, feedlot. So in a feedlot, they're added to the food in a in aquaculture they are added to the water and um there is a mandatory withdrawal period for every approved antibiotic that might be used in fish farming that actually guarantees that it's flushed through the system and so that there are no residuals in the fish so it is actually quite a different situation than antibiotic residuals in industrially produced meat so it's again another way that um, fisheries in general, um, whether that's through aquaculture or wild fisheries, are um, a very different situation than um, our concerns about industrially produced meat or or monocrop um, agriculture. Um, so I, I think that, you know, we t again, we sort of talked about um, fish farming a little bit in episode 366, uh, where we sort of busted lots of different safety concerns about seafood. Um, but, you know, generally fish farming is uh, a fantastic uh, way to get fish. Um, and I certainly, uh, I particularly, especially as a West Coast girl, um, and we used to fish as kids. Um, and, you know, we had a little tiny leaky boat and it'd be somebody's job to bail the whole time. And then someone else could have the fishing rod, you know, good times. Um, so, you know, I love the taste of wild salmon, but I'm, I will, I will buy farmed salmon. Like it's, um, it's a really important thing to do. And you can think of it as, um, it's not even the difference between, um, you know, grass fed and, uh, you know, industrial produced, right. It's the difference between, um, you know, grass fed and, uh, slightly less grass fed. I don't know. I have I've just, I ran out. My analogy just, it just, it, it fizzled out on me. Do you have a better <laughs> analogy? Cause that one didn't work. Uh, I think, I think it's good left as is. I do. I do mm -hmm. want to say one of the things that I learned from this whole thing, other than all the knowledge bombs that you're dropping, um, is that there is a standard for um, fish farming. So if you, for example, want to only buy fish from a fish farm that is using ethical, sustainable practices, like you would want 
to perhaps do from a land farm, uh, <laughs> like water farm versus land farm. I don't know how to refer to these. Um, you know, one of the one of the interesting things that I found on some of the food that I was eating was this. BAP certification for farmed fish. Mm-hmm. And it lays out um, the requirements to get the certification. And so um, some of the food that was in my freezer had this label on it. And I was like, oh, this is in addition to the Marine Steward Stewardship Council certification that the movie really does a number on. So yeah. I, I want to get into that. And I do, I want to talk about what the film claims, which is that the MSC um, certification is invalid because of two things. So um, for those that don't know, the Mar- Marine Stewardship Council certification is essentially um, a nonprofit organization that is identifying um, sustainable and safe caught seafood that would um, identify things like dolphin safe and bycatch limitations and different things like that, making sure that any bycatch that happens is going back into the water, different things like that. And this is the instance where they talked about, could someone be bribed? Because the organization has um, physical audits Obviously, someone cannot be on the boat all the time. That's, I mean, that's not how regulation happens, right? Like, you think about how taxes are audited, right? Like, it's not, thankfully, not every year all the time, but you're acting in good faith knowing that it could happen at any time. It's the same kind of thing on the boat um, that you you have an in-person auditor and um, in the document in the film, <laughs> sorry, um, <laughs> the guy asked, well, could someone be bribed? And we've already kind of gone through that. And so his uh, first claim is that it's invalid because someone could just be bribed to pay for this label and not be acting in good faith. We've already talked about that. And two, um, the filmmaker actually physically shows up at MSC offices and essentially in an ambush, like there's a hidden camera and he's like, well, I want to talk to someone right now. And they're like, well, let me see if I can find someone to talk to you. And then he's like, I waited a half an hour and then they came back and of course no one would meet with me. And I'm like, I mean, that's how corporate offices work. That's, you don't just like the same stunt he pulls in what the hell. You don't just like show up someplace yeah. and expect someone to be able to do an interview with you on camera. Like that's unreasonable. That's not professional <laughs> standard. They're working. Right. Also, also, refusing an interview is not like evidence of nefarious deeds, right? Like it's right. It, so it's uh maybe uh you're a jerk and I don't want to talk to you. Right. That could so he, be that could be a thing. He's a known vegan filmmaker at this point, right? Like they could choose to just be like I don't want to get caught up in this because there are people who are interviewed in this film who say that their words were manipulated and that mm-hmm. they didn't realize what they what they were participating in, right? And so if you know that that's what it is, you would also be like, I'm not going to talk to you. So in the film, he says, the only thing left to do was try to follow the money. Very dramatic, right? And um, so he goes to the website and he identifies from this nonprofit organization, which by the way, he does not say at any point that it's a nonprofit. Um, He says 80% of their income, MSC's income, comes from logo licensing. The logo 
that goes on a label, people pay for that. And the reason that people pay for that is because they have to pay the auditors. They have to pay the people that are doing the work. And so he's, it's like this big dramatic thing, like 80% of their income comes from the logo licensing. They're just handing out these logos to make money. And I'm like, how do you think the little, the little V in the circle for vegan works on products? (laughs) Oh, that's a good point. So, um, that's, it's like two different things to say, just because their income comes from logo licensing, therefore they're giving out the logo to make money. No, that's the manipulation, right? It's like, of course their income comes from the logo licensing. All those different, all of those different certifications. Yeah seals that you see on packaging uh the the paleo approved whole 30 gluten-free uh, vegan gluten-free they're all uh the same, same model where you have to apply you have to show evidence there may be an inspector um, it has to be tested in the case it of has gluten-free to be, right know? it has to be a third-party tested, and it has to be third-party tested regularly in order to maintain that label and then you pay a license fee in order to like you get you apply for approval you may you might have to pay for the own, your own third party testing even to get that approval and then in order to to keep that badge on your product you pay an annual license fee that's how they all work that's how all of the work that goes into creating the standards and maintaining the employees that are necessary for the organization that is uh, supplying that certification that is how they uh, how they pay their bills um, and they're not all like the Marine Stewardship Council is a nonprofit. Not all of these labels are nonprofits. Some of them are very much for profit, and their main revenue source is license fees. The fact that the Marine Stewardship Council is uh, acting is like organized as a nonprofit is actually uh, more unusual in the food space than a lot of these. You know, a lot more of these licenses are are from for profit organizations, and it's. The way that it works is because it informs the consumer. Like that is that is actually how the Marine Stewardship Council, um, which was uh, a joint, uh, it was sort of established jointly from the World Wildlife Fund and Unilever in 1997. That is how they have been able to advocate and make a difference in terms of um, sustainable fishing because the consumer knows based on the label, whether or not something is good or bad for the environment. And a lot of consumers will choose the thing that's good. And that actually applies pressure on the entire industry to change what they're doing in order to meet the, the MSC has a a very extensive criteria to be able to get a a license. And we'll, we'll link to the MSC's sort of rebuttal to Seaspiracy in our show notes, um, but they have a, a very, a very rigorous set of requirements in order to get that seal. But and Sarah, then... anybody could be bribed at any time. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, uh, I just, I'm so, I, I, listen, I, I know offered to bribe you, Stacey. Listen, okay. Here's the thing. I, I, I feel badly that we're kind of making fun of this because, I know that it's heart-wrenching to watch and to feel like you've participated in the cycle of something that is um, hurting the environment and hurting animals. And there's so much footage of heart-wrenching things that you don't want to see and, you know, overlay of talking about the sort of thing of... um, 
you know, coral reef and different kinds of things being affected. Like I, I feel you and I don't want to make fun of the emotional aspect of it, but I, I actually want to point that out as a very important aspect of this film is that it's intentional manipulation. It is intentional to put your feelings and to kind of manipulate the truth of this to say, listen, if you watch this film, you know that there's lots of, of sources and lots of information and truth facts. Like, for example, there was, it is true that there was one woman who was an auditor who was killed by, um, I forget the island, um, I think it was like a Pacific Island type place. Um, and I, I'm sorry, I don't remember it off the top of my head. It's like somewhere in our 13 pages of notes who was killed by like a fish mafia uh, because she stood her ground and took away their certification when she found out they weren't like she was one of those auditors that said, nope, you're not doing this sustainably. And they killed her in her home for that. Like, yes, that's emotional. Like that is hard to hear. Um, and it's the same kind of thing where we talk about why buying fair trade avocados and fair trade bananas and fair trade chocolate and fair trade coffee. Like all of these things are important because that happens. What I will say is that that fact did not support his claim that there's bribery being happened because this woman lost her life yeah. to stand by it. And so this is the difficult thing for me is I'm like, I, they're manipulating you to say that this label means nothing because you could be bribed, but then they're presenting you with a fact in a completely different way, talking about, you know, something else later in the movie saying this woman lost her life. And therefore that's a bad thing that you're supporting, you know, these people doing this bad stuff. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's, that's talking out both sides of your mouth. You just said this woman lost her life because she wasn't willing to be bribed. Like, so I, you know, it's total emotional manipulation, this film. Um, and it, if you if you still have questions about the MSC certification, there are a lot of other labels that you can look for. Like I said, yeah. I found them myself in my pantry, in my freezer. Um, one of the ones that um, I mentioned already is the BAP certification for farmed fish. But the other one that I'm actually kind of impressed by, and um, Sarah, you and I didn't talk about this beforehand, but the Dolphin Safe label in the United States, I thought that that was actually regulated as part of the Marine Stewardship Council certification. But when I went and looked into it, it's actually regulated by NOAA, who um, the um, Oceanic... Um, organization under the Department of Commerce in the United States, for those not familiar, I actually used to um, work for them, um, is uh, has a tuna tracking and verification program under the Dolphin Protection Consumer Information Act, which is regulated by NOAA to monitor compliance. And they're the ones that are owning that dolphin safe tuna labeling. So that is a, a government entity who's doing that. So you notice that he didn't mention that at all in the film about dolphin safe tuna um, that in the United States, first of all, nothing in the United States was mentioned, but I don't, I have great comfort knowing that like a government organization yeah. is the one monitoring compliance with that labeling. Um, and I know you found a couple others as There's, well. Yeah. So the Monterey Bay aquarium has a labeling system and so does the blue ocean Institute. Um, and so they're, they're all, um, you know, they're all basically advocating for responsible, sustainable fishing. Um, and that is, you know, it's, I think it's really important to emphasize that this is uh, important to us, right? Like we, we do want to be, um, 
you know, it's basically voting with our dollar, which we've talked about on the show before. When we buy the higher quality, um, you know, sustainably grown or produced or fished uh, food item that we're showing to these big corporations that this is important to us and it applies pressure um, from a very grassroots way. And I think, you know, supporting um, the organizations that are also advocating for these same values is really important. And we can do that by um, being informed consumers and looking for their seals. Um, and also by, um, uh, you know, again, sort of like we can donate, you know, all of these, all of these um, organizations will not probably, probably not the government, um, but certainly um, MSC, Monterey Bay, Blue Ocean Institute, they'll all, they all have a donation feature. Um, so it's another thing that we can do, not just like looking for their labels and, and being informed consumers and helping them achieve their goals because they achieve their goals by educating consumers, um, but also by directly supporting them. So another label that I really like is um, caught on a line. So when I buy tuna, for example, um, I try to find a dolphin safe um, single line fishing is kind of the phrasing that I look for on a label. And I want to use that as an as an example for the manipulation that the film used to create this like dis dishonest conspiracy mindset, right? And so the film, which should have been called conspiracy, but we don't really we don't use shoulds, so we'll just say seaspiracy. Um, I mean, I just I'm gonna again say they really <laughs> missed the boat. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, in case you missed that joke the first time. Um, <laughs> Puns get better with use, right? No. They no, just, they they're better and better and better every time you repeat it. I think that's no. how it works. No. So one of the facts that they use and they show a picture of the earth and they like show um, a fishing line as a sort of plastic that's wrapping around the earth. 500 times daily. And so the manipulation is um, talking about plastic being bad for the earth. And they say enough single line um, is used daily to wrap around the world 500 times. Um, but they don't say that that line is discarded. They don't say that that is like in the ocean, right? Like they're saying it like it's a bad thing. And to me, I'm like, well, that's fantastic that we have so much single line fishing going on. Because if you think about it, single line fishing ensures no bycatch. Single line fishing ensures yeah. that you're catching exactly what you mean to be catching. And if not, you put it back. So there's this manipulation and, and oh my gosh, look at all that single line going around the world. But the they're not saying that that like line at the is, end of the day you're like oh, I'm, I'm just drop my fishing line why would it, overboard no I mean that's that's why would a fisherman want to have to buy that over and over again yeah. of course not um is there some in the ocean I'm sure but probably yeah. they don't they don't make a claim that that is being discarded or put into the earth they're just saying that's how much is used daily and I'm like that's not a bad thing to me that's a great thing another claim that they make is two hundred and fifty thousand sea turtles are and I'm going to quote, captured, injured, or killed in the U.S. annually from fishing vessels. Um, I'm going to point out to you that captured is capture and release, right? And so if you have a fishing net and a sea turtle is put into your net, 
and you release it, you still have to record on your boat that you caught that sea turtle and that you let it go and where you let it go because they are um, on the protected list. And so it's total manipulation to say 250,000 sea turtles are captured, injured, or killed because you're not actually keeping 250,000 sea turtles. That includes yeah. those returned to the ocean. So this is what I mean by they're going to take some information and then the way that it's presented and the way that, um, you know, the, the images are on the screen and the dramatic music and all that kind of stuff is how conspiracy theorists get you. Um, you there's a fact like climate change is a problem. You're on board with that. You know plastic is bad and you don't want to hurt the whales and the and the turtles. Like, you know, you're you're all in there. Um and then it's like, okay, commercial fishing is like cathos and it's all bad. And then then it like goes into this negativity spin. But just like they did cowspiracy and they claimed that um cow farms are killing the earth and therefore we need to stop eating cows. Our listeners didn't buy into that, right? We know firsthand how beneficial regenerative farms can be. Like I said, um, Joel Salatin wrote the foreword to my Beyond Bacon book and he actually has a film out called Polyfaces based on his farm in the Virginia area where I live called Polyface Farm, um, where he talks about how um, he's actually giving back to the earth and the earth is better for um, his farming when he's done with it. And and he explains why and he teaches other people how to do it. And so we know that it can be done well. And the majority of, of farms aren't done like that. But that's why we talk about as often as you can, supporting farmers who are doing the right thing is the best thing that you can do. Not quitting entirely um, because then you're hurting your local farmer just like if you quit seafood entirely you would be hurting your local fishermen your Alaskan fishermen wherever you're buying from you can extend this to plant foods too right like you know we've often talked about shopping you know locals um, you know family farms farmers markets um, that's still true for fruits and vegetables that's still right like it's um, you know we We've, uh, over the last, you know, 50, 60 years, um, we've really changed how food is grown in the, globally. And we've got these regions where we have monocrops. The monocrops are then shipped to the places where we have uh, feedlots. Um, and we've kind of factoryized um, where we just kind of have everything concentrated. And what we've learned is that that's not the best thing for ecosystems. That's not the best thing for the environment. It'd be much better to go back to a decentralized food system where most food is grown locally in smaller scale. Um, and that's going to take, uh, you know, not just um, a sort of a grassroots movement, but it's going to take political will to change policy to really work on that and reverse that. And that is going to be something that we're, we're, our generation is going to need to reconcile with. How do we, how do we, uh, kind of reverse this, um, centralization of, of how food is grown, but that is across the board. That is the entire food supply has this issue. And, um, one of the things that we can do as individuals again, right, is, um, as much as possible and, and not, uh, you know, we, we definitely don't want to, um, have anyone feel guilty for choosing the, you know, that 
food or that ingredient that maybe not is, you know, is maybe not grown in an ideal situation. Um, but when we make more choices where we are supporting sustainable, regenerative, biodynamic, right, those those types of practices for uh, growing our food, then we are also showing that this is a priority. And the more of us that can do that, the, the, the better. And that extends to seafood, right? We want to not have just 79% of fish eaten globally from sustainably um, sources, sourced, but we want 100%. And we can contribute to that, not by ceasing to eat seafood, but by being informed consumers and choosing sustainable, and maybe that sustainable means farmed, right? But looking for those um, those certifications that are very, very meaningful. And I know that sometimes um, sustainable seafood feels unaffordable or out of reach, but I went to two different grocery stores this week as well as Costco and can tell you that um, Trader Joe's, Aldi, and Costco, in addition to like all the regular stores that you would find, have really affordable dolphin safe certified tuna. And as I mentioned, that's a government label that um, I feel confident about. Um, and also farmed shrimp is really affordable. It's something that we keep in our freezer all the time. So we're going to talk a little bit about um, what, where and, and what seafoods we get. But I want, I don't want you to feel like us making all these claims about the certifications and where to get them and all this. And you're like, well, I can't do that. I can't afford that. Um, you just do the best that you can when, when you can, as often as you can. And um, you might want to think outside the box. It's not always wild Alaskan salmon that you need to be purchasing to support sustainable fisheries and to get the benefit of seafood. So maybe the last thing that I think we need to talk about the claim that they made, Sarah, um, to kind of circle back to the beginning of the show is this claim that seafood isn't healthy. Um, this, this claim that, um, fish is very toxic and, you know, it's it's got all this junk in it and it's not actually beneficial for you and just eat algae. It's the same thing. Oh, um, I want to I want to make the analogy that if we thought that um, eating algae was the same as eating fish, then we could also give up beef and just eat grass. It's such a um, good one. I was like waiting for the, like the <laughs> mic drop noise there. Like, such a good one. So, you know, it's not the same because they, you know, they have biological processes that allow them to form nutrients that we do not have those biological processes. That is why we are omnivores and not herbivores. And I have an entire um, article series on my website that that breaks down uh, all the, the different um, myths about whether or not, you know, we're, we're herbivores or carnivores and, and we're not, we're neither. We are, we're omnivores and nutritionally we need to be eating uh, diverse foods from both the animal kingdom and the plant kingdom in order to meet our nutritional needs. Um, and so we can definitely link to those in the show notes. But I think that, um, so first of all, for example, um, algae only has DHA in it. It does not have EPA. Um, th these being the two long chain omega-3s that are super important for health, and we need them both. Um, fish make EPA from the DHA that they're eating. Um, so it's that, you know, that's just an example of a nutrient that we um, cannot make um, that we need from food that our food can make 
from their food, right? This is, again, why there's this whole uh, circle of, um, of you know, the, the, the big thing eats the slightly smaller thing eats the slightly smaller thing all the way down, right? So, um, so definitely we cannot get the same nutrients from algae. Um, sea vegetables are a very uh, nutritious food, um, but they are not a substitute nutritionally for fish and shellfish. Um, the other claim that they made basically was sort of like fish is full of toxins. I really want to, to point our listeners back to episode 366, where we methodically went through all of these various safety concerns with fish and shellfish and discussed them in detail. Um, you know, basically it's, it's not true. Um, and, um, and in fact, you know, studies that have looked at, um, you know, huge amounts of, of seafood consumption, um, have basically shown that there's a linear response. So the more we eat, the better. If these toxins were a problem, there would be a U-shaped response where there was sort of like an optimal amount where you're benefiting from the nutrients, but uh, the toxins aren't too much. Um, they There were some early studies showing a U-shaped dose response out of Europe, but not out of Asia or North America. And that has later been explained by traditional preparations of fish in Europe, including deep frying, pickling, and salting, where the um, it's not mercury or dioxins or uh, BPA that is um, bioaccumulating in fish that is causing the the U instead of a line, but rather high salt and high um, oxidized fat and trans fatty acids that are, are causing that line. So when you take that out and you just look at fresh fish consumption, you basically see a straight line. The more you eat, the lower your risk of disease. Um, and that is not something that we would see in the scientific literature if these toxins were a problem, in addition to all of the points that we made in episode 366. I do think it's important to talk about microplastics though, um, at least briefly, because you know one of the things that this uh, movie um, did draw attention to is plastic pollution. We talked about um, plastic pollution sustainability um, on episode 352. I know we've both also written about it just in terms of trying to reduce our use of single-use plastics and sort of like making steps towards zero waste. I know neither one of us are there yet. Um, but I think it's important to sort of acknowledge that plastic pollution in the ocean is a problem. Um, microplastics um, and micro and plastic microbeads are definitely uh, a problem. But the it's not fishing that is the contributor to this uh, pollution of the ocean. It's how we are consuming plastics and disposing of them. So the the bigger impact that we can all have as individuals here is just looking to lower our carbon footprints in general, reducing our use of single-use plastics, avoiding, uh, this is one of my favorite new words, wish cycling. Matt, which is tells, where we, Matt tells me I wish cycle all the time. It's quite, yeah. it's quite disappointing. <laughs> where we wish we could recycle something, yes. and, but really we can't. Um, so recycling properly and also doing some research because um, often, um, you know, we're putting things that are, wish cycling is where you put something that you want to be recyclable that's not in your recycle bin. And then sometimes that can mean uh, they have to, it can break the equipment that's used for recycling, or it might mean they throw out that entire batch if it's got too much of something that's not recyclable. 
Um, so look for things that are reusable bags, uh, reusable containers, right? Avoid, if at all possible, buying uh, things from the store in that in those clear plastic containers. So like think tubs of salad, um, think um, uh, it, like there's that whole, usually there's that whole aisle like lining the, the produce section that has like salsa and guacamole and pre-cut fruit, right? Those plastic tubs are a big contributor to plastic waste. So um, buying the, the one where you can put it into your own reusable bag and then make it yourself at home is definitely better. Um, and any, any time that you choose to get a couple heads of lettuce instead of the pre-washed lettuce in the tub, that is going to be a better choice, right? So also, you know, again, this isn't about being perfect. This is about um, more of us making small steps. Um, those, all of those little small changes add up the more of us who can do them. So what we can do uh, to address the re very real problem of microplastics in the ocean is by reducing our plastic use in general. I think one of the interesting things about the film was they highlighted how what a small percentage of plastic straws is contributing to um, waste in the ocean. And therefore, um, it's not actually making a difference. But look at all these campaigns and people are just um, doing it because it's the cool thing to do. Um, and I, I don't know that I necessarily disagree with that, but I think part of it is education, right? People got educated that plastic straws were ending up in the ocean and harming sea life, and they became impassioned by it. And I think one of the other things that we need to do is realize it's not just plastic straws that's ending yeah. up in the ocean and that there's something we need to do about it. And, and that is really um, an education thing. There was like a whole thing in the film about how he went to like the plastic campaign people and like manipulated the conversation to say well shouldn't you be just telling people to not eat seafood then isn't that the answer um because the claim is that the majority of waste in the ocean that's plastic and microplastic is coming from fishermen so it's here listen i i can't control that sarah you can't control that what i can control is the the plastic that's in my home and to stop wish cycling, which Matt is like avidly on me about. But I will also say that he is notorious for putting things into the trash that could be recycled. So we're both like policing <laughs> each other. And I think that's all about education. You know, you can look up the information in your area about what can be recycled and what can't. For a really long time, I was putting glass in our um, recycled, not realizing that my county doesn't recycle glass and that I needed yeah. to do something else with glass. We've talked about that before on the show. Um, and so I just think there's a lot of um, better ways that we can learn how to protect our oceans other than just being like, nope, I, you know, I quit. The thing, the, the thing that will ensure that fishermen don't put nets out is if we stop eating seafood. Because I, I mean, I, ha I have newsflash for you. Even if you decide to stop eating seafood, it's not actually going to make any sort of dent into the global consumption of seafood. And the best thing that we can do is continue to advocate for sustainable and to educate others and that sort of thing so that um, people are empowered to do the right thing and and people are paying for that quality seafood and then fishermen are inspired to do the right thing because they're going to get paid properly for it like just the that whole cycle is um to me so much more logical than this idea of 
um, what we call an underwear gnome plan here, right? Where it's like, and this thing and this thing, and then dot, 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 somehow magically things are fixed. Like it doesn't, it doesn't actually like fully connect, um, which is where I just, an underwear gnome? I don't know where it came from. I, it's, it's like reminiscent of a South Park thing, but I don't know. Matt can interject and tell you, but essentially anytime where we see something wonky, where someone's like, um, making a claim, like do this thing. And then, and then this other thing happens and it's like, it doesn't logically connect does that make sense? Yeah. It's, we call that an underwear gnome plan. Like maybe, maybe it comes from this idea that like your underwear keeps getting lost in the wash and you don't know why or where it's going. Or <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the basis of it. It's just, that's what we call it here in the house. I don't get it. Lufu. Phase one, collect underpants. Phase two, phase three, profit. Oh, I get it. No, you don't. So I want to, I, I want to, as we're wrapping up here, I, I want to kind of remind our listeners that um, documentary filmmaking is not regulated. Uh, a documentary is a filming style. It does not automatically mean that it's news or that it's true. There are some amazing documentaries and it can be a wonderful way to learn about history and be a wonderful way to learn about the environment and climate change. But it's really important to, um, you know, when we're watching things like this, to really um, apply the same level of critical thinking that we would to any place that we're learning or that we're um, consuming news. And I wanted to share some of, like, my favorite ways to learn about uh, climate change, ways we can protect the oceans, the the problem with plastics in the ocean. Um, I am a big fan of Sir David Attenborough. So his documentaries like Blue Planet, which is very specifically about ocean habitats, planet Earth. Um, they're fantastic. Also, uh, it's a recurring theme on Nova, which is also very rooted in scientific evidence. National Geographic often has shows that... Um, that tackle these types of topics. And then if you like written forms, the scientific American magazine, I think is one of my favorite, like written for the uh, science nerd who doesn't necessarily have a science background. Um, And they of course tackle all kinds of topics. Um, But those are kind of like my, um, you know, if you, if you want to go and find a documentary or articles to help, you know, learn about this issue and avoid something that is overtly manipulative and not presenting um, presenting the facts accurately. These are my these are my top recommendations. I agree. And I think the last thing is just to kind of make this practical and give you um, an action that you can walk away feeling good about because we never our goal is never to make you feel bad or to judge you for the choices that you have made or will make. Like we're just here to present information and for you to do with it what you'd like. I do think that, I hope you walk away understanding that just eating algae is not going to give you the same health benefits and that um, fish is not toxic. I I will point you to our show notes if you want to go back and listen to some of our prior shows kind of going more into detail on that. But I think that's the 
the the other big thing that they tried to address in the in the film that I wholeheartedly disagree with. So let's say you're ready to kind of make more of an effort to find sustainable seafood. Where would you do that? Like I mentioned, we have a local fishmonger at my farmer's market. Um, even when you shop at a place like Whole Foods, they'll list the sustainability for fish. Um, if you're looking for more um, affordable, sustainable seafood, I have found it at Costco and Trader Joe's. Just make sure mm-hmm. you're reading the label. Um, and I, I really like vendors that are, um, Alaskan based, especially if I'm going to get salmon, cause I know I'm supporting like us based fishing. Um, and here locally in my area, we have a lot of local shellfish. Um, you've probably heard of the Potomac and, um, you know, a lot of oysters come out of the Rappahannock. Like those are all local rivers to me. So I try to buy local shellfish, which is not it, very fortunately for me, not very difficult. Um, but when it comes to salmon, like that's not local to me. So that's why I choose Alaskan. Um, and I have found really affordable farmed shrimp with that BAP certification and canned tuna with the dolphin safe line caught. Those are, um, when I look at the price compared to like not line caught next to it, it seems expensive and then it makes it a difficult decision. But instead of thinking of it that way, compare like a can of tuna and how you might make a tuna salad filled with carrots and celery and onions and you're kind of bulking that up and you eat it on Simple Mills crackers, um, what that costs for a meal for how many people versus like, I don't know, hamburgers or whatever the alternative for you might be. When I think about it from that perspective on how many people it's feeding and what it's costing me, the safe, sustainable seafood is actually in most cases more affordable than the alternatives of what I would be buying from the land. And so just like eggs, right, when you look at the price of like organic um, free range eggs compared to not eggs it seems so much more expensive but then when you think about how affordable that egg is for the amount of protein that you're getting for your family instead of comparing it to the other it's like oh I can I can tote that's actually a really affordable protein for my family okay I Mm -hmm. can do that so maybe just try to think about it from that perspective um but those those the the best places I can think of that are affordable other than butcher box, which Sarah, I know you use as well. Yeah. So I was going to say, um, cause I, I second all of those, uh, places. I do have a fishmonger at my local farmer's market and we are not close to the ocean. So it's actually really cool that he's like bringing in, um, fish from, um, small, like local, uh, fishermen at the, at the coast, at the Georgia coast and bringing them to our, our, um, farmer's market five hours away. I, I just think that's really cool. Um, but I also get seafood from butcher box. So butcher box, um, is a subscription service we've talked about on the show before. Um, we do have a link that will automatically hook you up with whatever their, their cool new, um, offer is for joining. Um, cause they usually have something pretty awesome as a bonus for joining. So it's butcherbox.com forward slash the paleo view. Yep. Old link but still, still good. I checked it this morning. still works. Um, and, um, uh, you can, they have, uh, Alaskan, um, salmon, wild caught, um, all of their standards are super, super high. They periodically have, um, scallops. They periodically have cod and halibut. 
Um, so once you're a member, they have what are called member deals. So you can always add something specific to your next box. That is one of my favorite features of ButcherBox. So I have my, my surprise base box that comes every month. And then I have recurring um, things that I add to every box. And then I have like the extra things that I can add. And especially this past year during the pandemic, I've really relied on ButcherBox even more than normal. So um, highly recommend and again, we do have a podcast link that if you use helps to support the podcast, and that is butcherbox.com forward slash the paleo view. I thank you for hanging in with us. We know this is a long show. We've been working towards not having shows be so long, but I do think that it was important to kind of tackle all of it because I know that this has been making its way through our community and just the popular culture in general. And I hope that this gives you information to be informed and have those conversations and to make the decisions for you and your family um, with comfort in knowing um, about the health benefits, about the sustainability, about the earth. No one is debating that there's room for improvement in large commercial fishing. And um, I do think that we as consumers have a lot of power to change that. We've seen even just the past 20 years how consumer awareness has changed um, the depletion of the ocean and how quickly it's coming back. We talked about that at the beginning of the show. So the more we continue to educate and make informed decisions, the, the better the planet will be. And if you want to hear what we really thought I will be uh, <laughs> really honest about what I thought about this uh, documentary as I'm using in quotation marks um, hop on over to our Patreon where we share that every week after the show it's going to be good this week I promise <laughs> thanks for listening I'll be back next week do you love the whole view podcast We'd love for you to leave us a review wherever you listen and share a podcast with your friends and family. And did you know that you can now get exclusive behind the scenes content on Patreon for less than the price of an almond milk matcha a month? Your Patreon membership supports us and gets you access to a monthly bonus episode. But not for kids' ears because our bonus content is explicit. You can find us as The Whole View on Patreon for our real unfiltered thoughts on this week's episode. We are Allie and Erica, certified integrative nutrition health coaches in gut and hormone health and the hosts of the podcast, Courageous Wellness. We are committed to destigmatizing conversations in the wellness space and celebrate the experiences and lessons of our guests in pursuit of physical, emotional, and spiritual wellness. Listen to Courageous Wellness wherever you get your podcasts with fresh episodes every Wednesday.